We're going to talk about games today, games we play in religion. Um, but before we do, let me just uh, let me just tell you a couple things. First of all, keep your compassion, world vision pictures, wh- whatever kids that you sponsor. We really want to get a copy of them so that we can put them up on the wall. We want to tell everybody uh, about what we're doing here at Parkview and also be able to pray for them. Number two, uh, we got Life Group Connection in a couple of weeks, February 11th and 12th. Big weekend for us here. We start the Lockport campuses Saturday night service. We're moving our 4 o'clock service up to 345 so that that can happen. And we got life group connections. We need you to be in a life group so that you're connected with some other people because it's too hard to get to know everybody in here. Let me explain something to you about preaching, okay? Casey did a great job last weekend, didn't he? Phenomenal. Actually, uh, Casey was the author of this series, to be honest with you, because he's the one that kind of put the whole idea for this thing together. He's invaluable around here. I want to say something about me preaching or not preaching, okay? Uh, We do about 216 weekend services here a year. You start to put that together. 216 services a year. That's uh, about 160 services at Lockport. That's four times more services we do than most average churches do. They only have one. I'm going to do about 75% of them, okay? I'm going to do about three years' worth of preaching in one year, and somebody else is going to do the other part of that. I'm going to be about once a month, I'm going to be off, and the month of July, you're not going to see me, and that's the way we do things here. Why is that? Well, uh, for two reasons. Number one, I need it. Believe it or not, I have more responsibilities here than just standing up on the weekends and making a couple of things up to tell you. It takes a lot of time to prepare for this. We also have a large staff. We have a lot of other things that I need to be involved in. So I need a break every once in a while so I can get some of the other things done. Number two, you need it. I appreciate the connection that I have with you. I appreciate that you you love me and all that wonderful stuff. And I would rather be I would rather be preaching than listening. I was listening last weekend. I was in the 5:45 service, like I told myself to be, and uh, I was up in the balcony trying to get a new perspective. And I was sitting next to Stevie, my friend with Down syndrome, and I swear he sat still better than I did. It's hard for me to sit there because I have ADD. But we need to hear from other people. I need to hear from other people. So about five times a year, you're going to hear from Casey. About five times a year, you're going to hear from Tim Sutherland. A few times, you're going to hear from some other staff and some special speakers because this church can't be about me okay Uh, i'm gonna die someday or get drafted into the nba and you guys are gonna have to go on all right the apostle paul addressed this at corinth he was like they were like having this issue they're like somebody said i follow paul i follow apollos i follow cephas i follow christ And, and paul says was christ divided come on is paul crucified for you were you baptized into the name of paul and that's a rhetorical question, by the way. It's not a, if, if it can't be about Paul, it can't be about me. It's got to be about Jesus. Okay, fair enough. Let's talk about losing our religion. Um, I know for some of you that makes you feel very guilty. It makes you feel uncomfortable, and, and that's okay. That's probably because you've been religionized. It's probably because you have been given the experience of religion, but not the experience of Jesus. I got a copy of this uh, commercial that you're going to watch next weekend in the Super Bowl when you watch the Super Bowl for no reasons of football because nobody cares about the game, but for the commercials. That's all we're going to watch it. This kid won the Chevy spot. Chevy did a, 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 a contest and said, whoever makes the best commercial will show it on the Super Bowl. So this kid from New York makes this commercial. You're going to see it next weekend. Uh, it's about Chevy Camaro. I'll, I'll show it to you, and then I'll explain what I mean. A blindfold, Mom? Really? Is this necessary? Happy graduation, sweetie! Ah! 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 
believe you got me this car. <laughs> Amazing. Status update. Best day of my life. <laughs> Call on Grandma. Grandma. Best Should we tell him? No, let him no. tire out first. Jogger, check out my sweet ride. How can you jog when you can drive? <laughs> Not yet. He's losing steam. <laughs> Just let her ride its course. Don't marry me right now. Don't marry you right now. Stop getting married. This is the best day of my life. Hey, Steve. Best day of my life. Hey, Mr. Johnson just stole my car. That's great, isn't it? When I saw that commercial, I thought of religion. That's what I thought of. Because I, what I feel like is like we come to Jesus and we're like, all right, forgiveness for sins. I get to live forever. And then some old guy gets in our car and drives it away and we're stuck with the refrigerator. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense to us at all. Seriously, did you ever see anybody in the Bible who came to Jesus and was bummed out? I mean, yeah, the rich young ruler who didn't want to commit, but, but for the most part, people came to Jesus and they were like, yes, I get to live forever, I'm forgiven for my sins, I got the Camaro. I don't see that happening. They, they were willing to die for Jesus when they came to Jesus. I don't see that happening today. I don't see that happening in, in, in the American church, at least. I don't see people who are getting that experience. Why? Because they're getting the refrigerator. They're not getting the Camaro. They're not getting the Jesus that they're supposed to be getting. And that's why we're doing this series. And again, it's funny to me how many of you think I'm talking about your church background. I've heard from Catholics, Baptists, Reformed, Presbyterians, people who grew up in the Christian church like me. Everybody's like, oh, you're talking about my church, Tim. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm talking about the church. Because what happens is, Andy Stanley says it well. He says, the gravitational pull is always towards graceless religion. The gravitational pull is for us to always go down to a graceless place where we start to be the church that's against things instead of the church that is for things. And the amazing thing about that is that that's the very thing that Jesus was against when He came to this world, was graceless refrigerator religion. We've made it into a game. It's religious angry birds, basically, isn't it? I mean, that's what it is. It's become this game. Two weeks ago, I started off talking about how we play this game of Jesus says, and, and it's uh, Jesus says this and Jesus says that, like Simon says, but if Jesus didn't say it and you did it, then you're out. You're out of the game. And the funny thing about that, again, is not about what Jesus says a lot of times. It was about what your church said Jesus said. So some of you grew up with Jesus says don't work on Sunday. And some of you grew up with, Jesus says, don't eat meat on Friday. And some of you grew up with, Jesus says, I turned water into grape juice instead of wine. Did you ever hear that one? I mean, that was my church. Because you couldn't drink you know, wine at our church growing up. And so, What do you do with Jesus turning water into wine? Oh, well, it wasn't really wine. It was grape juice. Really? that's the problem with religion. Casey talked last week about the guy who thought he was such a good game player that he had accumulated all these points. He said, I'm so good, God, at this game. Thank you that I'm so good at this game. 
Now next week I'm going to show you the video that's gone viral, the guy that did the video, a uh, little rant called I love, Relig- or, I love Jesus but I hate religion. It's gone viral. Millions and millions of people have viewed it. Why? Because he's saying all the things that we wanted him to say that we've understood for all these years, but because he's saying the Camaro instead of the refrigerator. Also next week, I've invited one of my favorite singers to come and do a song for us, my daughter Rachel. Um, she's going to come up from Nashville because she's got this great song that she wrote when she was at Westminster Cathedral in London where all the old kings are buried and all the old presidents and you know all those people are buried in this dead religious place. She's got a great song about that. So I'm like, hey, you've got to come up and do this. That'll be next week. And yes, I'm preaching next week. Thank you very much. Okay, so here's the problem. Here's the problem. The longer we play this game, the more points we think we have accumulated. And the reason the dude in Casey's Scripture last week thought that he was okay with God was because he'd accumulated a lot of points, and God should be proud of him. So I decided to check on my cell phone plan this week, because Rachel and Ash finally got their own cell phone. Can I, can I just say, for those of you who aren't there yet, in case you're wondering, there is a window, a long window of time in between the empty nest and the full bank account. Can I get an amen? Huh? You're, you're like, you're gone, but you're not gone, okay? So, so, so they're, they're, they got their own cell phone, and, and so I got one person off my family plan. I'm like, well, I had to check on my minutes. So I call up AT&T, and I had 6,000 rollover minutes. 6,000. I mean, nobody, nobody's using their cell phone to talk anymore. We just text, right? No, so, so I'm like, well, can I get a, a lower plan? And the lady's like, sure, you could get a lower plan and save $20 a month. And I'm like, cool, $20 a month will help me pay for my second wedding in one year. Happy cannonball. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I'll do whatever I can. And the woman at AT&T was like, really? I'm really glad to hear you say that. And I'm like, well, why wouldn't I change plans if I'm not using all these minutes and save $20 a month? And she said, some people just can't give up their rollover minutes. <laughs> really? You don't need the minutes you've got, but because you've accumulated all these minutes, you're not going to save yourself $20 a month by getting the lower plan because you can't give up your minutes. Do you know what that sounded like to me? That sounded like religion. That's how so many people look at religion. Well, I thought my plan was good and I've accumulated all these points in my plan and I went to this class and I've done this thing and I've got 22 years in the plan and I know God says I don't really need the plan and I know Jesus died to save me from the cancel. He canceled the written code, Paul said. He canceled the written code and he nailed it to the cross. That's what Jesus said. He, he nailed it to the cross. I know I don't need that plan, but Jesus, I have 6,000 rollover minutes. I have tithed this. I have prayed that. I have gone without this stuff. I've gotten up early. I've stayed up late. And I've got all these points. And if I follow you, it feels like I'm going to be losing my points. So even though the new plan was a lot better, the religious leaders of his day could not give up their rollover minutes. They could not get a hold of grace. And why do you think the people that were following Jesus around were the tax collectors and the sinners? Because they had no rollover minutes. Their phones had been shut off. And Jesus came along and said, hey, guess what? That's not the way it works. You can still have a relationship with God. One of my favorite scriptures today, if you've got your Bibles, I'm in John 8. It's the story of the adulterous woman that is brought to Jesus 
fascinating story. People are playing this game, and they're wondering if Jesus is going to play this, this chess game, if He's going to play this game along with them, because the Old Testament commands are very clear. We have the Ten Commandments. We have these laws. We have these things that God set in place. And Jesus, are you going to do this or not? And they set up a trap with adultery. Adultery was a big one. It was one of the Ten Commandments. This is something that you're definitely not supposed to do. And they thought they had caught Him in a lose-lose situation when they bring this woman to Jesus. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And at dawn He appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around Him and He sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery and they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded uh, us to stone such women. Such women. Now what do you say? They were using this, John says, as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Somehow they either find out that this woman was committing adultery or they set up this situation where she is committing adultery. She might have been a prostitute. We don't know how the whole thing went. But obviously, this is not about the act of adultery, okay? She was caught in the act of adultery. You don't just catch somebody in the act of adultery accidentally. Not very many people walk in, oh, sorry, didn't know anyone was committing adultery in here. Okay, this was set up. And it obviously wasn't about adultery because where's the guy? <laughs> I mean, is it, do you see the guy in the picture? It takes two to tango, right? It takes two to commit adultery. I don't care how you slice it up. And there's no guy here because this is not about adultery. This is about the game. And in the midst of this game stands a pawn, a woman. A woman who has committed the act of adultery. Adultery carried with it the death penalty. It was listed as one of the mortal sins, if you will, with murder and witchcraft and human sacrifice. It was automatic game over. So picture this scene. Jesus has come down from the Mount of Olives down to the temple, the route of, the, of Palm Sunday, and, and, and He's come down to the temple, and He's teaching in the temple, and all these people are gathered around, and all of a sudden there's a mob scene, and these guys in long flowing robes come in, and they're dragging this woman who is kicking and screaming, and they drag her in right in the middle of Jesus' teaching. And all this woman wants to do is crawl under a rock. I mean, literally, she's probably half-clothed. She knows what she's done. She, she knows what the penalty is. The last place she wants to be in the world is in the temple. And it's possible that she hasn't been to the temple for years. And these guys bring this woman in, and she's forced to stand in front of everyone so that everyone can stare at her. There are many times in Scripture when I admire Jesus' restraint. This is one of them. Because if I was Jesus, I would have gone spider monkey on those guys. I'm telling you, this just infuriates me. And obviously she was wrong, and obviously adultery is horrible, and it breaks up families. And some of you right now are like, yeah, but I could go spider monkey on a woman or a man who slept with my husband or my wife or my spouse, and and you don't understand what that's done. I, I get that. I get that. But there's something about the way this text is set up and the fact that they use this woman as a trap, and it feels like somebody's been using 
using this woman in adultery and now somebody's using this woman. The people that were supposed to protect her are using her and maybe she was a prostitute. And I'm just acutely aware of how many women in our world are forced to use their bodies to survive. That's just the kind of the bent that I come from, okay? And the fact that the Pharisees set this up make me feel like this is the case. Maybe not. Maybe she's a horrible homewrecker. Either way, thankfully, they brought her to Jesus. You're like, wow, I bet that's the last place she wanted. No, 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 no. That's the best place somebody could bring you. If you're afraid of something, you're you're not afraid of Jesus. You're afraid of religion. Jesus can look down from the cross and say, Father, forgive these people that nailed me up here. He can forgive you, okay? The best place you could be is with Jesus. Verse 6, But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. What did he write? Top ten questions when I get to heaven, right? Don't you want to know, like, what, what in the world did you write here, Jesus? What was going on? I mean, that's just funny to me. I, I, the, the Greek word is ketagrapho, which has kind of a, 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 a connotation of making a list. So commentators have speculated on things along the way. I mean, th- if you think about the things that God has written with his finger and the whole list thing, there's some pretty logical conclusions you could draw, some good ideas of what Jesus might have written. We don't know. Now, this is the only time we ever have record of Jesus writing anything. He stooped down in the, in, in the, in the dirt and he wrote. Maybe he wrote, some thought, the Ten Commandments. Maybe Jesus started writing, I mean, it's a list, so maybe he made a list of the Ten Commandments and he started writing the Ten Commandments. Because God wrote the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 9 with his finger on the tablets, we're told. So that's kind of fascinating. Maybe he wrote, you know, the Ten Commandments. Hey, don't tell me about the Ten Commandments. I know the Ten Commandments. I wrote the Ten Commandments. Maybe he just wrote specific parts of the Ten Commandments. Mark Driscoll, the preacher in Seattle, says, I'm speculating that what he wrote was the first line of the Tenth Commandment. Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife. Because you have to think about it. If you're a bunch of heterosexual guys looking through a window watching this sin, you're lusting in your heart. If you say, no, they weren't, then you're either not attracted to women or you're lying. Those are your only two options. (laughs) Gotta love Driscoll. Okay? Maybe it was the Ten Commandments. Maybe he made a list of their names. I mean, this is kind of, this is like challenging Santa to the naughty nice list, isn't it? I mean, this is Jesus knows who they are and what they've done. Maybe he wrote the Ten Commandments and then he started to write their names next to the Ten Commandments that he knew that they'd broken. You know, number three, Billy, Johnny, number six, Larry, Curly, Mo. I got all you guys right down here. Whatever it was, it slowed them down, but it didn't stop them because they thought they were better than she was. Whatever it was, they thought they were better than she was because that is our natural inclination. Whatever it is that I've done in my life is not as bad as what somebody else has done in, my, in, in their life. Isn't that the way it always works? Two religious women were arguing about their kids one day or bragging about their kids one day. And the one woman said, my son is such a saint. He doesn't smoke. He doesn't run with loose women. He works so hard. And the second woman said, well, my son is a saint himself. As a matter of fact, he has not touched a drop of alcohol or even looked at a woman for three years. The first woman said, my, you must be so proud. The woman said, I am. And when he's paroled in a couple of days, we're going to throw him a big party. That, that's, that's what we're like. We're looking down at everybody else. So they keep at it. They're like, okay, whatever you wrote, yeah, whatever. Verse 7, they kept on questioning him. You know, when Jesus gets back in your face, it's probably better just to walk away. They kept on questioning him. 
and he straightened up. It was never a good day when dad straightened up, was it? When dad got up out of his easy chair and straightened up. He straightened up and he said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And there was an awkward silence. Don't oh, you hate it when you're playing a game and the other person just takes forever and ever and ever. And Jesus just took his time and there was awkward silence. And then he stood up and said, Hey, I know you think it's my turn, but it's not really my turn. It's still your turn. Make sure you check the rules before you next, make your next move. And during this time of awkward quietness, conviction started to set in. And it, it, Jesus brilliantly took it from being this mob scene to individual responsibility. Because whenever we're in a mob and we can look back at everybody else and go, oh, look at us, we're so much better than them. But when we look at ourselves and we look at the other person, that's when we start to understand it. And amazingly, Jesus takes this from being a lose-lose situation to being a win-win situation. What do I mean? I mean, he upheld the standards of God's holiness. He, he, he didn't let this woman... I'm sure they brought, they brought this woman to Jesus thinking Jesus loves sinners. He hangs out with sinners all the time. He's just going to say, oh, just go on your merry way. But Jesus didn't say go on your merry way. He said, you know, basically he judged her. They brought her to Jesus to be judged and he judged her. And then he judged them. And he made them as uncomfortable as they had made her. Jesus isn't going to wink at sin. He's not going to just say, hey, don't worry about it. Adultery is bad. It violates marriage. It wrecks homes. Again, I know you could tell me stories. But now, like the woman, the leaders are in the same category because the things that they have done are bad and they wreck marriages and they wreck homes and they are just as bad as the things that she's done. And as it set in, verse 9 tells us, they began to go away one at a time. And it's interesting. They say from the oldest to the, to the youngest. Because there's something about us. The older we get, the more we realize how far from God we actually are. And it changes everything. I love the last part of verse 9. <clears throat> Until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. They all left from the oldest to the youngest until it was only Jesus left. Can I just say that this is where I would wish every one of you could be? If I had one wish for everybody within the sound of my voice, if I had one wish for you, it would not be to win the lottery. It would not be for your health to be rectified. It would not be for you to get your job or to whatever your marriage to be healed or any of those other things. Those are all very, very important things that are going on in your life right now. And I know you've got needs and I know you've got hurts. But if I could wish one thing for you, it would be to spend five minutes alone with Jesus. Because that would give you the perspective that would change absolutely everything about your life. If you could just have five minutes alone without religion, without people, without the games, if you could just have five minutes with the love of Jesus Christ in your life, it would radically transform your life. And maybe Jesus would heal you, maybe He wouldn't. Maybe He would get you your job, maybe He wouldn't. Maybe He would give you the money you need, maybe He wouldn't. But you would have the perspective to be able to go through the rest of your life knowing that God really does love you and Jesus really does live with you and He wants to help you and that someday He's going to take you out of here and everything's going to be okay. 
Five minutes is all I wish. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? It's important you understand how Jesus addresses her. Okay, we don't know who she is. It's important that you understand how he dresses her. Because for us, it's like, woman, where are they? You know, when I use that language at home, <laughs> it doesn't go so well. <laughs> woman, where's my dinner? That, you know, I, that's not so good. You know what I'm saying? But you're not understanding the context of the Greek language here. What, this is the same exact term that Jesus used to describe his mother when he's talking to his mother. Mary, woman, where are they? Remember from the cross, Jesus said, Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. The exact same term several times in the book of John that Jesus refers to his mom. It's a term of endearment. I know know that doesn't sound like it to you, but it is. He calls this woman, he doesn't call her a whore, he doesn't call her a homewrecker. He calls her the same name he would call his mom. And shocked by the grace of Jesus, she says, No one's here to condemn me. And Jesus said, then neither do I. Now go and leave your life of sin. You are a woman of worth. You are a woman that is loved by God. You are a woman who is dignified and forgiven and cleansed. Now go live that way. And if you think about it, if the prostitute thing is true, this might be the first time in a great number of years that a man has talked to her in a loving way that wasn't trying to get something from her. A man giving her love was probably something that was blowing her away. But Jesus doesn't wink at her sin. He addresses it. Okay. Again, the, the funny thing is they bring her to Jesus to be judged and He judges her. And He judges them because He's going to judge everyone. And then He's going to forgive them. Because sin is bad. We're not supposed to live in sin. Grace and and, and non-religious grace is not what gives us the opportunity to sin. The Apostle Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? But what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law now, but we're under grace? By no means. Sin is bad. Sin is horrible. Sin is a very big deal. Jesus paid the penalty for sin. It's horrible. But once we understand that we're forgiven, then we can go out and live the way that we were supposed to be bred in the first place. The way that we were born in the first place. In the image of God that we were given in the first place. Once we understand that we are forgiven. If you had five minutes alone with Jesus, I mean, just think about this woman in in this story. How did Jesus address her? With, first of all, dignity. He treated her as a person, not an object. You are a person of worth, my friends. I don't care what you've done or where you've been. You are a person that Jesus would treat with dignity. He treated her with compassion. One commentator pointed this out. The whole writing in the dirt, maybe the reason we don't know what he did down there was because he was just drawing smiley faces down there. Maybe all Jesus was doing was diverting the attention from this woman who doesn't want everybody to stare at her down to the ground where he's writing. Everybody's eyes, think about this, everybody's eyes is looking at this woman and then Jesus starts to write in the dirt. I mean, just a compassionate act that he did. We don't know what it was that he wrote. He had compassion on her. He treated her with frankness. Some people have said, you know, Jesus was too easy on this woman. Well... He's Jesus, and you're not. 
But he did treat her according to her sin. He did confront the root problem that she had in her life. And Jesus is going to do the same thing for you. If you're a Christ follower, He's going to tell you, go and sin no more, just like He told this woman. But it's going to start with love, and it's going to start with grace, and it's going to start with compassion. Because the fourth way that He treats her is with grace. This woman was condemned by the leaders. She was condemned by her own sin. But Paul said there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. That's how He treated her. Neither do I condemn you. And lastly, He treated her with hope. That word, I mean, the, the phrase in here that we pay attention to is, neither do I condemn you and go and sin no more. But it says, go now and sin no more. That phrase, go now, was from the now, from this point on. It's so important that you understand this. It's not about the past about the present. Whatever's gone on in your past, it doesn't matter. He's not going to condemn you. Now go out from the present and live like you were created. Religion is about playing those games with God, like our drama. It's about playing that chess game. I'm going to do this and see what you do here, and I'm going to try to maneuver myself into the right place. A relationship is about having honesty and openness. And the truth of the matter is, we go back to the marriage analogy for a little bit. You know that in an open and honest relationship, it is actually a lot harder than if you just live by a set of rules and instructions. And you could live by rules and instructions with each other all of your life and celebrate 50 years of marriage with a complete stranger. Because all you did was play a game. It's time to quit playing games. The question comes back to, though, however... Did Jesus break the rules? Because the truth of the matter is, God did say that adultery was a sin and it was punishable by death. Did Jesus break the rules? And the answer is, no, He didn't. Punishable by death. What Jesus did for this woman is He continued to live His life as a perfect, holy human being. And then He crawled up on the cross and He died in her place. The death penalty still stands, my friends. The wages of sin is death. But the gift is this grace, is this forgiveness that we get from Jesus Christ. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. This is the exchange that happened on the cross. You've heard it said, Jesus died for your sin. What that means is every time you've had sex outside of marriage, Jesus died for that. Every time you've lusted in your heart, every time you've been greedy or covetous or gluttonous or drunk or lied or whatever it was that you do on a regular basis, whatever those things were, Jesus died on the cross for those. He paid the penalty for that. What this means is, is that as Jesus is hanging on the cross, He is dying, He is bleeding, He is broken because that woman had sex with that man. And because of you and because of me. The penalty for death is still there. Jesus just paid it. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law came thinking, oh, we caught her and that's going to be the end of her. But the truth of the matter is, that's the best thing anybody ever did for her in her life, was to bring her to Jesus. And you see why I'm preaching this? Because the best thing anybody could do for you is bring you to Jesus. You say, well, Tim, I'm a sinner. Hey, guess what? Welcome to the club. 
The best thing I can do is bring you to Jesus. As a matter of fact, you weren't ridden. Well, you kind of were ridden in here with a mob, but you weren't brought in here with a mob and pulled up in front of everybody so we could all stand and look at you. But can I just say this right now? You are busted. All of you. You're all busted. I'm busted. You're busted. We're all busted. We're all standing before Jesus and Jesus is looking down at us. And what is he saying? Same thing to you and me that he said to her. Neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. See, if you have religion, you're not going to ever get that. There's no motivation. It's all about the game. If you have a relationship, you're going to want to change. We want you to change. We want to help you. John wrote uh, to the early church, he said, My children, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Sin is bad. Adultery is bad. Whatever it is that is outside of the will of God is bad. That's why he told us to stay away from those things. It's going to hurt you. But, he goes on and says, But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. And church, the reason for this series is that every once in a while I've got to come back around and get the gravitational pull back out of us and help us to remember that what we're supposed to be doing is getting down in the dirt with the sinners, okay? Just like Jesus. We're supposed to be getting down in the dirt with the sinners. That's where we belong. That's what the church is supposed to be about, okay? A fantastic story this week. One of my, one of my heroes in this, in this idea is a guy named Andrew Marin who gave up his regular church life and decided to move to Boys Town in downtown Chicago and start a ministry to homosexuals. It's a big homosexual community down there. And there's a picture that's going viral around the Internet right now of Andrew Marin at the Gay Pride Parade. Andrew Marin and a bunch of his friends were standing at the Gay Pride Parade with signs that said, I'm sorry for the way the church has treated you. And there's a picture. I can't show it to you because this guy in the parade is in his underwear and it's inappropriate. Okay, but there's this picture of this gay man who is walking in the gay pride parade, hugging Andrew Marin, and Andrew Marin hugging him back. And there is a Jesus exchange going on there because Jesus was always the person that was down in the dirt. Jesus was the person that was about the love, about the neither do we condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. That's what Jesus was about. Religion is about... Go and leave your life of sin, and then neither will we condemn you. Jesus was, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. If you do sin, welcome to Parkview. We have an advocate. His name is Jesus Christ, the righteous. One of the best stories I've heard in the last several years was a game of football they played down in Texas. Grapevine, Texas. It was Grapevine Faith Baptist School against Gainesville State School. And everything about this was upside down. Gainesville, when they came out, on the stand, out, of, out to take the field, came through a 40-yard spirit line of faith fans. The faith fans even made a banner for the other team which said, Go Tornadoes, which is weird because they were the Lions. More than 200 faith fans sat on the Gainesville sideline and kept cheering the Gainesville players on by name. I never in my life thought I'd hear people cheering for us to hit their kids, said Gainesville's quarterback, Isaiah. I, would expect another, I wouldn't expect another parent to tell somebody to hit their kids, but they wanted us to. And even though the sports writer wrote that faith walloped them 33-14, to 14, 
The Gainesville kids were so happy that after the game, they gave their head coach a sideline squirt bottle shower like he just won the state tournament. Got to be the first Gatorade bath in history for an 0-9 coach. Great picture right there. But then you saw 12 uniformed officers escorting the 14 Gainesville players off the field when things started to make sense. They lined the players up in groups of five, handcuffs ready in their back pockets, and marched them to the team bus because Gainesville is a maximum security correctional facility for teenagers. This all started when Faith's head coach, Chris Hogan, wanted to do something kind for the Gainesville team. Faith had never played Gainesville but he already knew the score. Faith was 7-2 and two going into the game. Gainesville Prison was 0-8. Faith had 70 kids, 11 coaches, the latest equipment, and involved parents. Gainesville had a lot of kids with convictions for drugs, assault, robbery, many whose families had given up on them, wearing 7-year-old shoulder pads and ancient helmets. So Hogan had this idea. What if half of our fans for one night only cheered for the other team? He sent an email out to the parents said, here's the message I want you to send those Gainesville kids. You are just as valuable as any other person on the face of the earth. Some people were confused. One faith player walked into Hogan's office and said, Coach, why are we doing this? And Hogan said, imagine if you didn't have a home life. Imagine if everybody had pretty much given up on you. Now imagine what it would mean for hundreds of people to suddenly believe in you. Next thing you know, the Gainesville Tornadoes were turning around on their bench to see something they'd never seen before. Fans. And actual cheerleaders. Not like in the longest yard. Girls. Oh, you saw that. I thought maybe they were confused, said Alex, a Gainesville lineman. They started yelling defense when their team had the ball. I said, what? Why are they cheering for us? It was a strange experience for boys who most people cross the street to avoid. We can tell people are a little afraid of us when we come to the game, said Gerald, the lineman with a three-year sentence. You could see it in their eyes. They're looking at us like we're criminals. But these people, they were yelling for us by our names. Maybe it figures that Gainesville played better than they had all season, scoring the game's last two touchdowns. Might have also been because Hogan put in his third-string defense, but still. After the game, both teams gathered in the middle of the field to pray. And that's when Isaiah, quarterback from the prison, surprised everybody by asking to lead the prayer. We had no idea what the kid was going to say, Coach Hogan remembered, but Isaiah prayed this. Lord, I don't know how this happened, so I don't know how to say thank you. But I never would have known there were so many in the people in the world that cared about us. And it was a good thing everybody's heads were bowed because there were a lot of tears. As the tornadoes walked back to their bus under guard, they were each handed a bag for the ride home, a burger, some fries, a soda, some candy, a Bible, and a letter from a faith player to encourage them. The Gainesville coach saw Hogan on the way out. He grabbed him hard by the shoulders and said, you'll never know what your people did for these kids today. You will never, ever know. I'll tell you what he did for those kids. Neither do I condemn you. That's what he did. I'll tell you what, five minutes with Jesus, and that's what you would figure out. Who I am in you. That's what we're trying to help you with. We're going to do communion right now. I just got to say something about this right up front, because I had somebody come up to me after the service last week and say, hey, you know what, when I was growing up, 
when it came to communion time, sometimes a preacher would read a passage from Corinthians about not taking communion in an unworthy manner. And she said, I feel unworthy sometimes. And there are times that I don't take communion because I feel unworthy. And it reminded me that I kind of thought that too when I was a kid, that, that there is a passage in the Scriptures in Corinthians where Paul berates the Corinthian church because they're taking communion in an unworthy manner. But if you think that's because you're a sinner, your preacher went to the Mickey Mouse school of biblical hermeneutics, okay? Because that whole passage is about what the Corinthian church was doing was they were desecrating the Lord's Supper. The rich people were eating the Lord's Supper and not leaving it for the poor people who had to work first and couldn't get there on time and they were making light of it and they turned it into just some stupid party and they weren't treating it the way that they were supposed to. That's what Paul was talking about when he said, you're eating and drinking damnation unto yourself. But if you happen to grow up hearing that Scripture read out of context, you might have grown up thinking that you had to come to communion time and you had to be worthy to have communion. And that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Why would you need communion if you're worthy? It would be like my kids needing money and me saying, here's some money, and they say, okay, well, as soon as I save up enough money, I'll take your money. That doesn't make any sense. We come before the throne of Jesus Christ. We come before the cross right now and we admit that we are unworthy. And we admit that we are sinners and we look at the cross and we look at the body and we look at the blood and we go, man, this is what cost you your life. My adultery, my sin, whatever it was that I did, this is what cost you your life. So I'm just going to be nothing but grateful for your grace and no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to take this and I'm going to drink this and I'm going to go out with a new start and I'm going to go now and sin no more. And if I do sin, I'll come back next week. I have an advocate with the Father. It's Jesus Christ. And along the way, I become more and more like you. And the older I get, hopefully the more I become like you. And at the same time, the easier it is for me to drop my stone and realize I have no business throwing one at anybody else. We're going to have communion now. If you don't know if you're in Christ Jesus... There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You need to be in. What do, I do to get, what do I do to get in, Tim? Ask. Say, Jesus, I want You to be my Lord and my Savior. I want to be in You so that You can be in me. Forgive me for my sins. You can do that right now during communion. Lord, we come to You right now in gratitude because we have grace pray for our congregation that you'll help us resist the gravitational pull towards graceless religion continue to be down in the dirt with the people who need us because we are down in the dirt when you came and called us and we help you to be with us as we grow in our faith with you and as we grow in our relationship with you because we don't want to be people of sin we don't want to be people who are messing up our lives with the things that you told us that were going to hurt us because you're the owner of our bodies and you're the owner of our lives and we know that you know the best way to live. Be with us as we go from this place and sin no more. We thank you for the amazing grace. How sweet the sound. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.